Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I'm really excited to bring you today's episode with somebody who has been an inspirational and motivational figure in my running life. Her name is Melissa Becker. If you don't know Melissa, over the last five years, she has gone from basically non-runner to a 323 marathoner. She's developed a coaching service as well, and it has cultivated a running community around her Instagram profile that is something like I've never seen before. I mean, she literally has tens of thousands of people who are very attached to her life and her running life. And she's somebody who has gone through a lot of things and uh, not only in the past, but, but right now, I mean, she's going through a health scare right now, despite the fact that she uh, just got a PR at the celebration marathon down in Florida uh, just last week. And we dive into all of it, all the health stuff, all the running stuff. Um, I'm not going to talk about it right now in this intro. I'll let her speak for herself, but I think I shouldn't say that. I know that you're going to gain um, a lot of inspiration for your own running by hearing her story, considering all the stuff that she battles through and does it with an intensity and an optimism that is uh, simply incredible uh, to witness and at the same time is very open and honest while sharing her, her life and her running um, with the rest of the world. And it's a, it really is a fascinating topic. She is a fascinating person, and I am very excited for you to hear this episode with Melissa Becker. Hello, Melissa, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, and congratulations. You set a PR on Sunday at the Celebration Marathon down in Florida. Congratulations on the new PR. Thanks. Thanks. I'm definitely feeling it today. <laughs> well, hey, that's the way it goes, right? You're no, you're no amateur when it comes to the marathon. <laughs> yeah, this is my eighth marathon, so I think I've learned a couple things in the past couple of years. <laughs> I can imagine. So you ran 3.23.20. Right, I did. Yes, that's that's great. And then you get you get the PR going, which obviously always feels good. And I know for you, I know you had you had, you had visions of a of a of a faster marathon, but when you have that, you still get that PR. You at least at least that is a nice feeling, right? Even if you don't reach that goal, that kind of that 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 A goal that you might have had in mind. That's very true. You know, like there's always that kind of like consolation prize of like, okay, I didn't do what I did, wanted to do but I still did better than I did last time. So, you know, there's always that. And what was your PR going into the race? Uh, 3.24, so I've carried by a minute. There you go. All right. That's not bad. So, yeah, and where did not you, bad at all. And where did you set your previous PR? Uh, at the Shamrock Marathon in March last year, so 2017. Okay. Yeah. So you, you keep, you're just going on the upswing. Yes, exactly. We're going to keep trending that way. Keep getting faster is the hope. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Now, I've, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because I think you're somebody who is, is very relatable in a lot of ways to a lot of people that listen to the podcast. And it's, it's one of those common refrains that, that I hear all the time, not only with people who I've interviewed, but people 
that I've just interacted with, um, you know, my own local running communities or people I've gotten to know via social media who are really, you know, dedicated amateur runners. And that is the idea of kind of either starting or restarting later in life. Right. Yeah. People who maybe were active as a kid, but then gave it up and then kind of got back into it. Or maybe people who just weren't all that active at all and then kind of picked it up, you know, after college or early to mid 20s and then kind of took it from there. And that's kind of that's kind of your story, too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't start running until about 2010 is when I, I really well, I started running and then I gave it up for a while and then I kind of picked it back up. So you know, I definitely started later in life. So what made you start in 2010 and then kind of, you know, kind of lose traction pretty quick? Yeah. So it's kind of a, a it's not a great story because um, bandaging is not great. But uh, my mom was actually signed up to run the Disney half marathon with my dad and she ended up having knee surgery. So she couldn't run it. So my dad was like, oh, you just run the half with me. So I ran it under her bib. Don't do that. Don't band it. You need to get your own bib. But, you know, back then I, I did it. I ran with my dad. So I ran my first half marathon in January 2010. And we ran a 216 half marathon. Um, it was very painful. I remember like crying through the last couple miles. Um, and then uh, after that, I actually got pregnant with my son um, in late 2010. So I didn't really run for a long time after that. Um, I, I dealt with a lot of um, unhealthy eating habits, you know, before then in college and high school. And when I got pregnant, it was a big eye opener for me. Like, you have to take care of your body. Like, you have to eat. You have to, like, you know, make sure that you're nourishing this child that you're carrying. And so I took it to the other extreme where I was way overeating. Like, I gained a lot of weight through my pregnancy with my son. Um, ended up, <laughs> I remember getting on the scale when he was like a month old, I think. And I, I remember seeing a, a two at the start of my weight. I was like over 200 pounds. And I was like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> you know, because I, I have a pretty small frame and I had just completely eaten myself and gone the whole opposite direction. So tried to get back into being healthy, um, had my daughter in 2013 as well. And then after she was born, I got more healthy, kind of took control of my health and, and wanted to get, you know, in better shape for them to make sure that I was being healthy and a good example for them. So, Right. And so when you, you mentioned earlier how you had, basically you kind of went from one extreme from eating perspective to kind of not, not another extreme per se, but you, you know, you, you ate more than maybe you should have in <laughs> retrospect, but do you feel like you had to go through that phase just to kind of like balance it out? I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, I did take it to the other extreme. Like when you're pregnant, do you need to eat an entire box of toaster strudels a day? Yes. No, no yes. No, you don't. No, you don't. But I told myself I did. Um, and so I kind of went both extremes. And, and I think maybe I did need to kind of like learn that lesson, learn that healthy balance and kind of figure out, okay, where, where does that lie? You know, you got to eat, you got to fuel your body. And I obviously being a runner is like the epitome of like, you have to eat really well to make sure you can run the mileage that you need to run. So you know, I kind of found that balance through running and getting healthy overall after my kids were born, thankfully. Right. And especially if you're talking about just body health, obviously you have that symbiotic relationship between 
exercise and you know what your diet is by diet i mean just like the foods that you eat not mm-hmm. a specific diet plan right um so th- that is that there, there's a natural relationship there obviously if you're doing a ton of mileage you're going to be pretty hungry no matter what kind of diet plan you're on and, and you know so on and so forth um so for you when when you were kind of going through those swings and obviously being pregnant is there's a, there's a lot that goes into that as well you know you have two you know your two kids within a three month a three-year span how did exercise start to manifest itself for you as something you wanted to do consistently? So for me, it didn't really start until after my daughter was born. Like I wanted to like lose the baby weight, but it wasn't ever about like health. It was more total vanity. Um, to be honest, honest there, I just really was like, I just have to get back my pre-pregnancy weight. But then when my daughter was born, um, pretty quickly we learned that she had some health issues. Um, by the time she was like two to three months old, she really wasn't gaining weight very well. She had a lot of GI issues. She had just just things going on. Um, you know, she's constantly getting sick and, and I tried to, you know, just be her advocate as much as I could, um, through her health. And eventually though, you know, being a parent that, that catches up with you emotionally very quickly. And I really didn't have an outlet. Um, my only outlet was, you know, eating more. Um, and I already wasn't very healthy. So trying to get back into finding something that would help me relieve the stress of dealing with my daughter's health issues is really where I started to find my stride with running. I had a I had a girlfriend who knew that I used to run and had run a half marathon and had dreams of running a marathon one day. And, and she pulled me aside um, was like, you just need to go run. She's like, I know you've done it before, but you just need to go run and like find some sanity there and she was right you know that day that same day I went out I laced up my shoes and I I tried to run I barely made it down the street but I was trying and I I wanted so badly to get that stress relief um and I found eventually that the more I ran the better I felt um and I did get out some of that stress that I was dealing with with my daughter's health issues yeah you have a great line and one of like you know you've and we'll touch on this several times, I'm sure, during this podcast. But you're you live a very open life yeah. in social media, which I think is part of the reason that you've developed this amazing community um, that I also want to talk about. But one of the things that you mentioned in one of your posts, I thought this line has me cracking up every time I've read it. It <laughs> says, "Is that you're you're talking about that experience, that first running experience that you just mentioned, mm-hmm. and in your head you were thinking, this is it." This is where I'm going to die. Two <laughs> yeah. blocks from my apartment, trying to run postpartum. Yep. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. I think it's just so hard to get started. I mean, man, running is just so hard when you're not good at it. I mean, and I really was not good at it. I remember, like, hitting, you know, running up a hill or getting to hills and just pausing my map, my run, and I would walk up the hill and then I'd unpause it and my, I would finish my run and be like, you ran 10 minute miles, but actually I didn't because I had paused so many times because running is just so hard when you get started. I feel like not enough people talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, because it really is a catch 22, right? Yeah. Yeah. You want to get better, but it's like, it's so hard. It's hard to feel like, when is it ever going to get better? Yeah, I know. Right. And it's like, it, there is that ego part of you where you don't want to do the run walk thing, mm-hmm. but obviously for so many people, that's like an easy, not easy. That's, that's absolutely the wrong word. It's probably the, the best way to get started because yeah. it allows you to ease into it. Yeah. It's not easy per se, but it allows you to kind of ease into it. Just like if like you're learning how to swim, like you don't want to jump into the deep end. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely something you have to ease into. And, and run walk is a great way to start. And that's how I started. I mean, I, I did the whole like pausing thing and, and took my walk intervals. But starting with run walk, that's exactly what I did. I would run until I felt like I couldn't run anymore, which was usually like a minute or two minutes. And then I walk until I felt like I could run again. And eventually it just kind of starts to come together. You get more of a flow. But at the beginning, that's the best way to start, I think. So when your daughter uh, is, is Ray, right? Yeah, Ray. Yeah. All right. So when she was two or three months old and you guys were trying to figure out what was going on with her medical issues, did what was the resolution for her? Like what, what, what kind of came of it? And I know that you've been, you, you, you've shown with pride your tattoo that's yeah. connected to that. Yes. Yeah, so my daughter, when she was uh, 11 months old, she had a feeding tube placed. Um, she had an NG tube, which goes up your nose and threaded down your throat and into your stomach. Um, that's what she started with. We thought it was going to be like a short-term solution. Uh, at first, they just kind of were like, okay, she just keeps getting sick. And that's why she can't gain weight because she's constantly getting like, she was having stomach bugs, um, ear infections, like just illness after illness on top of everything else she was dealing with. And so I thought, you know, maybe she just needs a short-term solution of, you know, we just need to bulk her up on her weight and then we can take her off um, and, and she'll be fine. Uh, but after a couple months, when we tried to wean her off the feeding tube, as she began to gain weight, um, when we took her off, she then started to regress where she couldn't even pull herself up on the couch. Like she wasn't standing anymore. She was losing milestones. Um, her feet were like, she would trip over herself when we tried taking her off of her feeding tube. And so it was very clear to my doctor is that, you know, this is, this is something that she needs nutritionally. Like she has a metabolic disorder, um, where her body just doesn't process foods correctly and she needs the extra nutrition. So she eats like a normal child. Like she always has, she eats, you know, three meals a day, multiple snacks. I mean, if you meet her, you'd be like, Oh my gosh, this child, like she eats nine stops. She should be fine. Um, but for whatever reason, her body just doesn't process foods correctly. So she needs the extra nutrition from a feeding tube. So she had a more permanent um, feeding tube placed uh, when she was 18 months, 17 months, um, you know, younger than two. So she had that placed. Um, and that's why I have my, my tattoo. I got that for her about a year and a half ago to kind of, you know, show her she's not alone. She, she said that multiple times where she's like, I'm the only one who has a tubie and like doesn't understand that. Um, because she's four, you know, She'll, she doesn't understand why she's the only one who has that. So I did that for her. Yeah, that, that really is a special thing. It's kind of like in your upper abdomen on the side. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I've seen like the, the, the matching kind of like twin photograph that, yeah. you, that you put out there. And obviously that must have been a hard thing. So this is what, 2014 or so. Mm -hmm. you know, yep. You're going through an issue where, you know, you're, you're a parent, you're you know, a loving parent trying to you know, provide for your kids. And all of a sudden, like, here's like this basic thing right? Like feeding your children and like, it's just not going well. I mean, that must've been emotionally a very traumatizing time, not only for her, but for you guys as well, you and your husband. Yeah, absolutely. So I became a mom very young. I was 20 years old when my son was born. My daughter was 22 when we decided to have Raylan because we're crazy people and we're like, might as well. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm 24 and I have a child, like not only do I have a, a two and a half year old, three year old son, but I also have this daughter who has medical issues. And I'm like, man, I'm too young to deal with this. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to, how I'm supposed to raise this child. Like I'm not, I'm not equipped to do that. And I, it was very, it was very hard for me um, for those first couple of years. I just felt like 
I, this isn't for me. Like I should not be trusted with this child with all these medical issues. It, it was really hard. And I think that's where a lot of my running stemmed from. I mean, we were in and out of the hospital four times um, in about a year uh, doing testing for her. She had lots of things going on, not just the feeding tube, but there was a, there was a point where she was having neuropathic pain in her legs, um, which is, you know, it feels like pins and needles sensation, but it, it took us a while to figure out what it was. Um, she's two years old and she was screaming that there were bugs and bees crawling on her legs and she wouldn't walk. She was just saying, you know, like there are bugs and bees crawling on me and just screaming that her legs hurt and, and wouldn't walk and like would just like fall to the ground. And, and I'm like, I don't know what, what is going on here. So we ended up in the hospital for that and doing MRIs and brain scans and all this other stuff. And, and I had just started running then, you know, and, and that was a big part of my running being like, my two-year-old child is dealing with all this leg pain and, and this, this suffering in her legs where I just wanted to go out there and be like, I want to like push myself for her. Like I want her to know that I understand, like, of course I don't understand the suffering that she was dealing with, but for me, running I was like I can make myself feel what she feels and like kind of get a, a piece of that and you know be there with her and understand what she's dealing with um and so my running kind of kind of spiraled or not spiraled but you know continued and progressed from there just wanting to be close to her and understand what she was going through see that's fascinating to me because during that time you know first of all being a parent of young kids I have a two and a five-year-old right now that both turn three and six this spring. So, I mean, I can testify to the fact that like, shoot, every day I'm tired. Every, <laughs> every night I'm tired. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You have kids, you're tired. It's just the way it goes. You're going to be tired forever. Yeah. And uh, at least that's how it feels. So with that in mind, then that's, and my kids have been very lucky. Like they're extremely healthy kids and, you know, we're, we're very blessed in a lot of ways. And even in those like pristine circumstances, you're, you know, your dog, you know, you're tired, dog tired at the end of the day. So in your circumstance, obviously there's an emotional and mental fatigue that goes along with these issues, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you're putting on a brave face. You want to make sure that, you know, that you don't show your, your children that you're scared because that makes them more scared. Right. So, so, I mean, I guess I'm, my point is that it could have gone the other way, right? I mean, it could yeah. have gone from, hey, instead of, like, doubling down on exercise, you could have been like, hey, man, screw exercise. Like, I got enough on my plate right now. Like, so for you, what was the difference between going, you know, doubling down on exercise versus saying, like, hey, man, I'm 25. Like, I didn't exercise at all prior to now. Like, why do I need to get started when I got all this other stuff on my plate? I think it's just the way that it made me feel like as soon as I started running again, I was like, I just feel like for once I have control over something like I can go out and I can get a little bit of stress relief from being out on the road, even though, like I said, I really wasn't good at it. Um, I was constantly pushing myself way too hard, way too fast um, all the time, but it made me feel better. You know, I felt like for once I was able to kind of get that stress relief out, you know, work through the emotions that I was dealing with um, of all of her health issues and be able to kind of process that throughout my run. It felt like, you know, with every step, I felt like it was less in the load. Every, every time I went out for a run, I would come back and just be like, man, I just feel so much better. Like I've been able to go through this and, and have a little bit of a break and feel like, you know, I'm doing something for myself and I'm bettering myself. Um, I, it just made me feel better. So I just continue to do it. And when did your running switch from being a stress release 
to being something that all of a sudden you have goals attached to? Yeah. So I ran my second half marathon at the end of 2014. So, you know, she started, she had her feeding tube placed in early 2014. I think it was February. Yeah, it was February, 2014. I started running a little bit more. My distances got a little bit longer. <laughs> the days got longer. Um, and my husband would come home and like, I gotta go. Like, I gotta go outside. I gotta run. And the more I started running, I was like, okay, I think I'm going to try another half. Um, I ran my second half marathon in October of 2014. And I finished in a 156 there. Um, and then wow, I- so 19-minute PR. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty great. So I was really excited by that. And I was like, you know what? I've always said I wanted to do a marathon. I think I'm going to do it. Um, so I started training for a marathon right after that, and I very quickly got injured. Um, I started chasing people who were training for a Boston qualifying time, and I was not at all ready for that. So I ended up hurting my piriformis and was out for three months. Um, you hurt, hurt your what? Piriformis. I'm sorry. What is that? It's, your, it's basically your butt muscle. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Your piriformis. So it's not, it's like a hip it's just it's not fun piriformis syndrome look it up it's not fun it's very hard to treat and to like and to work on it took me months and months and months of physical therapy and like trying to fix it and it still it just forever to heal so I was out from like January of 2015 until I think I started again in like April um that I was able to start running again so I I kind of started getting back then started training for the Marine Corps Marathon at end of um, 2015, and I, I trained a little bit better that time, and I was able to run the Marine Corps Marathon, um, and I ran that in a 418. Oh, so that must have felt great. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. It was not what I thought I was going to do. I thought, um, I've said this before, where I trained for my first marathon, and I, I thought, I'm going to break four, like, easily. Like, I've trained so hard. I'm going to do it for the marathon incredibly hard <laughs> and, and I ran a 418 it wasn't even close to what I thought I was gonna do so um it was it was humbling but it was amazing that first marathon there's nothing like it so I had a good experience and I, I very quickly was hooked on the marathon and, and ran a lot that first year so did you learn anything from like your, your so your first injury experience that you had after that second half marathon did you take anything from your training that allowed you to really ramp up pretty quick to go from, you know, you went from basically one marathon to marathon eight in a three year span. So did yeah. you have, at what point did you start investing either in coaching or start being really invested in, you know, making sure that you had kind of the right training plans to make sure that you were healthy on race day? Yeah. So I trained myself just until this past season. So I ran Marine Corps um, and it was after I had that piriformis issue that I, I took a, a good look at my training and was like, okay, you can't run every run all out. There's, that's not working for you. You know, you're going to get hurt again. So I started pulling back my pacing a little bit more, kind of having a little bit more structure to my workouts where I was taking some runs and trying to do some speed work, taking more of my runs and taking them easier paced. Um, still ran that 418, uh, but I had another marathon coming up. I ran the Goofy Challenge just three months after my first marathon, um, and that was in January 2016. So the Goofy Challenge is where you run a half marathon on Saturday, and then the very next day you go and run a marathon, um, which is dumb, but it's really fun. And this is at this is at Disney World, what, the second week of January? Yes, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. So I had run Marine Corps in October and I continued training. Um, and I thought, you know, at the FIFA challenge, I'm going to try to break four hours. I ran the half marathon with my dad. Um, and then the very next day I went out and ran the marathon and I ran a 356. So I, yeah, so I had a pretty good jump there. Um, which is great. You know, I, like I said, I coached myself. I I just kind of was like, okay, you know, what works for you. You just got to rein it in, like stop being so crazy and running everything all out. Um, my next goal was to run the Chicago marathon, uh, in 2016, um, which is in October and, you know, you have to qualify or you have to do the lottery to get into that one, or you can qualify. Um, and I thought, you know, I ran a 356, you only need a 345 to qualify for Chicago. So maybe just go do one more marathon, try to qualify for Chicago. And then that way you can run a Boston qualifying time there. Um, so I ran. Wait, wait, a Boston qualifying time or Chicago no, qualifying? Yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to qualify for Chicago, which is okay. a sub three forty-five. But I thought, okay, you can qualify for Chicago, then you can use Chicago to. Oh, okay. Boston. Yes, I was thinking very long term, <laughs> um, but I actually ended up picking a marathon in April, so just another three months after that that goofy challenge run, um, and I ran a three thirty-three, which was actually a Boston qualifying time. Um, so that was kind of a surprise, not what I expected, but it was great. You know, I qualified for Boston. I was so excited. I thought I'm going to go run Boston in 2017. Um, and then I hold got- on. Yeah. Hold on. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there. Cause you're, you're, you're flying. You're basically running. You're talking as fast as you run. So I'm going to stop you right there because that that's a huge jump, right? Yeah. So you go from 419, three months later, 356, yeah. three months later, 333 335 yeah. so you basically drop in 20 minutes two different times in a six month span yeah. so what was what did your training look like in terms from the goofy challenge to your april marathon first of all like the 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 down period after the goofy challenge and what did the training look like in terms of what weekly miles did you build up to and what did you change or what did you learn from your previous training experiences? Yeah. So I continued to do what I had been doing, you know, between Marine Corps and the Goofy Challenge, which is try to hold back. Don't be a crazy person. Run some easier paces. Um, add in a little bit of speed work. I did weekly tempo runs where I tried to kind of push myself a little bit more, get into that comfortably uncomfortable pace um, and, and push myself as much as I could there. Um, and I ran... I built from about 35 miles a week into, you know, closer to that 45 mile a week range when I was training for that rest and marathon where I ran the 333. Okay. Got it. And when you were preparing for race day, mm-hmm. what was the, what was the race plan? Like, what did you have for a goal? What did you have for how you wanted to run the race? What was the mer- the mile paces you were looking for? I, Honestly, don't really know because I had gone in with two mentalities there where I was like, you know, if it turns out that I can run a Boston qualifying time, awesome. If not, you can at least qualify for the Chicago marathon, which was 345. So that's a very big gap. That's a 10 minute gap. And I figured I'll come in somewhere there. Um, I had a very good friend, Kathleen, close to me who, when I told her, you know, I want to do sub 345 at this marathon so I can qualify to get into run Chicago, she's like, well, you know, you know, you're going to run at least a 340. So why not at least try and see what happens? Maybe you'll get a Boston qualifying time. So her kind of encouragement, it was probably a week before the race. Like I didn't even think of that as a possibility. Like I was just thinking like, 
sub 345. But she was like, I think you could do it. Like, I think you should try. And so I went out there, I, I tried and clearly it happened. Um, so I think it was just, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I don't really know how it happened because I didn't really have a plan. Right. So basically you went from a two year span, you went from like, Hey, if I run two blocks, I might literally pass <laughs> pass away yeah. on the sidewalk from my, you know, close to my apartment to running a BQ two years later. So you know, you're, you know, you've a coaching service now and I know you're not accepting new athletes, but you know, if you had, one of your runners mm-hmm. say like, Hey, I want to go from, I don't run to BQ two years later. What would your initial thoughts be if they presented that as a goal? Build slowly um, and, and take it easy. I think we, when we start to get faster, as we add in speed work, we get over zealous very quickly. We're like, Oh, we can run fast. Like I should run fast all the time. And I think that's like the number one downfall of of trying to get faster is that we expect that all of our runs should be so, so fast. And they really shouldn't. Like most of your runs should be easy paced. Um, I think that that was a lot of my struggles where I ended up getting injured very quickly when I trained for my first marathon. So that's definitely like the number one thing I tell anybody. I'm like, if you want to get faster, slow down. It doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it does. No, I mean, there you go. That's a great line. And, you know, we've had Matt Fitzgerald on this podcast, and he's talked about that endlessly with his 80-20 running, mm-hmm. that exact same thing. Yeah. Um, not only because running slow makes sure that you don't get burnt out, but also because if you run slow on your slow days, you have more gas in the tank for your hard days. So you can really, you know, burn up the track or, you know, the tempo run and really – get the most out of those days as opposed to going into them, you know, 75% and maybe not getting the bang for your buck that you might ordinarily get if you went into it a little bit, a uh, little bit more fresh. Right. Absolutely. I think that even with, you know, when you're doing your track workouts and your speed days too, I think a lot of people tend to, you know, jog their recoveries and, and try to jog them faster so that they have that overall average like that looks a little bit faster and I'm like that doesn't matter you know you got to be pushing really really hard on those hard efforts so I now walk almost all of my recoveries in between my harder efforts and I'm like man I can go so much faster if I really let my heart rate come down here so you know it's it's a constant learning curve and I think we all kind of have to learn that ourselves we can listen to what other people say but eventually you're just gonna have to learn it for yourself (laughs) that's a good point all right so you so you get the the Olympic the Olympic, the, the, the Boston Marathon qualifying time yeah. at Reston. Yeah. And so you're getting ready for Chicago. So what did that summer and early fall look like? Um, I used the Hanson's Marathon method. I love Hanson so much. Um, I, that's where I really started to find my stride and that, that high mileage. Um, I love running high mileage. Like, give me like eight miles minimum a day and I will be so happy. Um, so I, I used the Hanson's Marathon method to build up for Chicago. Um, I thought I had Boston in the bag for 2017 because everyone was like, oh, the cutoff was so low for 2016. Like, you should be fine. I didn't really know too, too much about, like, how the cutoff worked. I submitted my time. You know, it's two weeks before Chicago. And I got my rejection email that I was not going to Boston in April. And that was very heartbreaking. I'm not going to lie. I cried for, like, a week. (laughs) But uh, it also really, really gave me the drive to go really hard at Chicago. So I got to Chicago, you know, 10 days after 
that rejection email that you're not going to Boston this year, but you know, I knew I could give another shot. I knew I had the fitness in me. I had worked so hard all summer. I had just moved to Florida running in the ridiculous humidity, um, all summer. So I was like, okay, you got this. I went to Chicago, um, had a pretty good day. I had some stomach issues. Um, but still made it ran a three twenty seven. So, you know, I had seven and a half minutes for my buffer for Boston and I knew I was going to be able to go. So it was pretty exciting. Oh, wow. That's a huge, that's a huge effort. Now, do you think you would have been able to get that if you hadn't gotten that rejection letter two weeks before? That's a good question. I don't know. I think I would have, but I definitely know that it gave me that drive. Like when I was kind of fighting those issues in the later miles of the marathon, you know, I had like leg cramping because I hadn't had enough salt in the days leading up to the race. And, and my stomach was just giving me a lot of grief. And I think if it had been, if I had known I was going to Boston, I would be like, well, whatever, you're going to Boston. But I knew I had to have at least five minutes. So I fought really hard in those last couple miles to make sure that I had enough to, to know I really was going to go to Boston that next year. So when you're struggling in races like that, right, so whether it's a 20-mile mark or wherever, mm-hmm. do you feel like you pull from, like, like a, from like a realm of positivity, like, all right, I'm going to do this for my daughter, right? I'm going to yeah. like, like, this is inspirational. Or do you feel like you pull from like, hey, screw Boston. I'm going <laughs> to show those people that like, I got this. And that like, they, you know, they can't, they can't shut the door on me like that. You know what I mean? Like, do, do, do you pull from both or which one do you usually, I guess, which one do you gravitate towards more like in that, in that moment? So for Chicago, it was definitely, um, you know, running for Raylan. I had actually written on my hand for Ray. Uh, I had run Chicago not only through, you know, getting the qualifying times to be able to do it and not have to go through lottery, but I had also chosen to um, raise funds for the Mitochondrial Foundation, which is what they are assuming my daughter has, uh, mitochondrial disease, which is what affects like the powerhouse of all of your cells. It kind of shuts down different organ systems. So she has not been diagnosed with that, but they kind of assume based off of her symptoms that eventually she will be diagnosed from with that. So a lot of my, my drive in those last couple miles was like, do this for Raylan. You raised all this money for the Mito Foundation. Like you've got to show up. You have to make this happen. Um, you know, not only for yourself, but for her, for your kids, you know, you've traveled from Florida here, left your kids. It was also Hurricane Matthew that weekend too. So I left my family here in Florida when there was a hurricane here and I felt terrible. And so I was like, I have to make this count because I left them there, um, you know, with the hurricane. So I just kind of pulled from everywhere in those last couple miles. There you go. And you got your BQ ready. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that t- and that just brings us to 2017, which you had a pretty wild 2017. I did. Mel, I it did. was up and down, <laughs> right? So just st- starting right from the top, we're kind of taking this chronologically anyway. So sure. starting from the top, I guess, you know, right from right from January, you know, I assume at that point you, you're starting to ramp up for Boston. Uh, no, because I was I qualified for 2018. So oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, not that I'm heartbroken about it. You're just, you know, rubbing salt in the wound there that I that's think it, it's that's it. this year. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I ran the celebration half marathon in January um, when my good girlfriend's cat came down and we ran that together. Um, that was end of January of 2017. I ran a 132 half marathon. So that was a big PR for me. I think that was three, three and a half minutes. Um, off my halftime. 
So I ran that, felt really great. I did another marathon, the Shamrock Marathon in March of 2017, and I ran a 324, so that was another three-minute PR. Um, so at that point, you're feeling great, right? Yeah. You're just on a roll. Like yeah. Every race you're entering now, you're basically PRing all of them. Yeah, yeah. So that was great. Uh, Shamrock went well, but I did not think that it went well. Like in my head, I finished, and I, I finished angry because I thought I was going to finish sub-320, and it didn't happen because – you know, Shamrock last year, I, the weather was terrible. It was like 30 mile per hour gusts of wind and it just completely chewed me up and, and it destroyed me. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't satisfied with what I did, even though it was a great, great run. Like I still PR'd by three minutes, but you know, I am very, very competitive and very hard on myself almost too much. Um, so I wasn't happy with it and decided, you know, I'm going to go do another marathon. Like I'm going to go run the Ottawa Marathon in May. I'm going to get my sub 320. Um, and instead, like I said, I self-coach. So I not only coach other athletes, but I have always trained myself. And what I did <laughs> leading up to Ottawa is the dumbest thing you could ever do, which is I completely overtrained myself. I started adding in more speed work. I did exactly what I had told myself not to do leading up to all of my other successful races. Um, I just completely wore myself down. I remember hitting mile 12 of my marathon and being like, I'm done. Like, I'm so tired. Um, and I, I finished the race. I looked back at my training. I'm like, I would have never, ever, ever trained any of my athletes to run like this. I don't know why I held myself to such a high uh, expectation and why I thought I should have run the way that I did leading up to it. But I did. And it was a hard lesson learned. And that's when I decided, you know, hand the reins over to somebody else. I'm very driven. Like you don't have to tell me to do the work. I will do the work. I need someone to tell me, Hey, you need to chill out and you need to run less, run easier and run, you know, just smarter. And so that's when I, I started working, um, with McCurry trained and kind of had someone else take the reins of my training and, and kind of hold me back a little bit more. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's pretty understandable how you go into that marathon thinking that, hey, I can ramp up my training because you'd basically gone 18 months, you know, nailing every race mm -hmm. yeah. for the most part, you know, I mean, obviously, like you can always look back and nitpick certain races, but, for, you know, you keep getting PRs by big amounts. It's easy to say like, hey, why not ramp it up? Right? Like everything else has gone so well, like maybe, maybe I can do more. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, we we always like look back and are like, Oh, well, of course that's why I didn't go well. I didn't do X, Y, and Z or I did that and I shouldn't have. And so, you know, it's always hindsight and, and that's okay. You know, running is a learning curve for everybody, you know, and, and not everything that works for some people works for everybody else. So it's always going to be kind of figuring out what works best for you. And, and I learned a hard lesson at Ottawa. And so I was very humbled by that marathon as well. So moving forward from there was, it was hard for me, but I'm glad that it happened and I'm able to move forward and kind of run smarter and, you know, learn more. It, we're always learning more. So I'm glad that it happened. Now, did you start, did you take a little bit of a break after that marathon? Because at that point you've gone pretty consistent for yeah. a long period of time there. Yeah. So after Ottawa, that was in May, um, in June, I got sick. So that's when I had uh, my Lyme disease diagnosis so um i'm never gonna forget that instagram story where you first showed the patch yeah. and it was like before you're like i don't know what this is but i gotta go get it tested and i was like oh no uh, you know i was like for as soon as you see it you're like oh boy 
Yeah. No, so I I remember I had a 14-mile long run, and I remember driving to go meet up with some friends, and I was like, I don't feel good. But I didn't know. I thought maybe I was just tired, whatever. Um, so I went out for my run, and I didn't even – I made it 10 miles, and I was like, I cannot go another single step more. Like, I just felt exhausted. I got home. I was just so achy. I felt like I had the flu. Like, I was having chills and – and sweats and like, sh- like uncontrollably shaking for like two days straight. Um, and I went to the urgent care because my husband was like, you gotta go to the doctor. What is wrong with you? So I went to urgent care and they were like, oh, they tested me for mono. They tested me for strep and they tested me for the flu. Everything came back normal, but they were like, it must be the flu. Like that's the only thing it could be. So they gave me flu medicine. And when I got home, I saw the little like rash on my side. At that point, it just looked like a bug bite. Like it was tiny. It looked like nothing. Um, And I I showed it to my husband. He was like, oh, you must have gotten bit by a spider or something. I was like, yeah, it's weird. The next day um, I, I saw it again and it expanded like four times the size it was the day before. And if you know anything about Lyme disease, it's like, it's, it looks like a, a, a bullet. Um, what is it called? Um, a bullseye. Yeah, bullseye. Thank you. I don't, can't believe I don't even know what that means. Um, but yeah, so it looked like the bullseye where it was like multiple rings that had expanded like three times. And I didn't know anything about Lyme disease, but I knew that that's what that was. I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I have Lyme disease. And um, it made sense because I had just been in Virginia. My sister had gotten married in early June and there we were in the woods for her for her wedding. Um, and there were lots of people who were finding ticks on themselves. And so... I went to another urgent care, showed them the the rash, told them all of my symptoms and that they thought I had the flu. And I remember I showed the nurse the rash and um, she left and the door was open and she goes to talk to the doctor and like, she's got the bullseye rash. She's got all the Lyme disease symptoms. She's just in Virginia where, you know, she's exposed to the woods, blah, blah, blah. And the doctor goes, oh, that sucks. And I'm like, I'm right here. I can hear you. And I, oh, didn't, goodness and I didn't realize like how bad, Ly- I really didn't know like how bad Lyme disease was or what it really even meant. I just knew, you know, like, Oh, it's a tick borne illness. Um, and so it hit me really hard. Like I just didn't know how badly it was going to affect me. I went from running 60 mile weeks to then, you know, barely running 10 to 15 miles a week and feeling like total crap. Like I would run like three miles and come home and sleep for hours because I was just so run down and exhausted. It was just, it was awful. Yeah. And how long did that initial period of extreme fatigue last for you? It was over a month. So I had, um, they put me on antibiotics for about two to three weeks. Um, and I started, Oh my goodness. That's a lot of antibiotics. Yeah. So the, the annoying thing about those antibiotics they put you on too, is that like, if you're exposed to the sun, your skin burns. So like I couldn't even run during the day. Like if I wanted to run, I had to go early in the morning. Um, because anytime, like literally if the sun touched me, I felt like I was on fire. Um, it was the weirdest and most annoying thing ever. Um, so you're like a, you're like a vampire. Yes. You feel like you have to like stay in the shade. So, so here you are, you can't go out in the sun. You live in Florida. Yeah. You're completely exhausted, but you can't sleep in. Yes. If you want to run. Yes, exactly. It was so annoying. I remember we went to the beach one day and I sat underneath the tent and my watched my family like play in the ocean. Like I'm just going to be under here under the tent, like a vampire. I thought the exact same thing. I like, can't even go in the sun. Uh, but yeah, so about like two to three weeks after the antibiotics, I started to feel a little bit better, but the fatigue is just so real. And I mean, I tried running 
many times not understanding, you know, what my body was going through with this Lyme disease. Like I just didn't truly understand how much it was running me down. And there were so many times I would go out and I'd fail to run. I would, I would think I could run six miles and I would end up like crying on the side of the road. And, and that's pathetic, but it's true. <laughs> Where I just didn't, I just didn't know how bad it was until, you know, I've, I've had it for a while now. Um, unfortunately I was mistreated with the wrong dose of antibiotics. Um, I was supposed to have a longer course and a second kind of antibiotic. So um, I, I found out from my doctor who's treating me correctly now um, that it's probably going to be chronic now because it wasn't treated correctly from the get-go. Um, so that kind of sucks, but it is what it is. Right. And so what exactly does Lyme disease do to your body? Um, it kind of just makes all of your muscles and your joints very inflamed. Um, so something my doctor told me, uh, when I found a doctor who truly understands like Lyme disease, the first thing she told me, she was like, cut out gluten. She's like, that's going to cause so much more inflammation. Like you've got to cut out gluten and you'll be able to feel a little bit better, cut down excess sugar. I don't eat a lot of sugar and anyway, so that wasn't really hard, but the gluten was hard. Um, yeah, it just kind of causes a lot of inflammation. So if I, and a lot of fatigue too, I have very bad insomnia. I'm, I get really run down really quickly if I'm having like a Lyme flare up. So um, in September, I had a really bad one where I started to get really stiff joints. Like I could barely turn my neck. Um, and when I first presented with Lyme disease, it was my hip joints. Like they just even standing up, I felt like there's just weights on all of my joints. So it's just a lot of inflammation, at least how I present with my Lyme disease. It's interesting how they talked about the diet. It reminds me of my wife had uh, gestational diabetes with <laughs> our first with our firstborn, and she got like the special gestational diabetes diet. And you know, it was like it, it, it was whatever it was. I'm not going to get into it now. But the the nutritionist who was speaking with my wife was like, yeah, they call it the gestational diabetes diet, but I call it the what everyone should be eating diet. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, you know, I think, obviously, I feel better now that I've kind of cut out a couple things out of my diet. But, you know, it, it's mostly just trying to eat good whole foods uh, in general. I think that that pretty much would help everybody. <laughs> right. All right. So you had, you know, like you said, two or three weeks of antibiotics, mm -hmm. you know, obviously the Lyme disease just takes a toll on your body, you know, so at that, so whenever you kind of got back into running, you must've been starting at not even like ground zero, but like, you know, like below the earth, you know, you were like, you were like way, way down from a fitness standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely like kind of feeling like starting all over. And even when I would have like good days and I would actually be able to do a workout that was on my schedule, I'd have to like cut it in half. You know, I would be able to push hard, but it was like only half of what I was supposed to do. And it was just very frustrating um, feeling like, you know, I was doing so well and now it's just completely like crumbled um, and I have to start all over again. Uh, but, you know, eventually I was able to build back up. I got back up to 60 mile weeks. Um, it, it just took a lot longer than what I anticipated um, and obviously I had another setback in September of getting sick again and, and having that flare up that got really bad. Um, but you know, I just continued to do what I could, um, and, and take it day by day. I think that's, that was the main thing, um, for me. And it took me a while to understand that, but eventually I did. And I was like, okay, you gotta be smart about this. You can't just expect that every day you're going to feel good. Um, and I think that's where I kind of started to grow more and, and kind of be smarter about it and not have be so hard on myself too. I'm, I'm very hard on myself and have high expectations. Right. And that's kind of like a, you know, 
that's kind of a double-edged sword though, right? Because you probably wouldn't be, may not have achieved the running successes that you have if you weren't so driven and competitive. But in moments like that, it, it can really handicap you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I probably made myself feel a little bit worse because I kept on fighting it for a while. I'm uh, totally honest there. Like I, there were lots of times where I was like, I would just try to run six miles, seven miles. And I, like, you can't do that. Like you don't feel good. Why do you keep expecting, you know, that this is going to go well? And instead I would just end up feeling more tired and more run down and then I have to take off a couple more days. And it's just, you know. I don't know, just dumb, <laughs> just being dumb. <laughs> so, so at this point, so you're basically into like a six month relationship with your new coach. Yeah. So when did it start get to the point where you, you could start maybe looking ahead and say, okay, this is a potential race on the horizon that we can sign up for and use as a goal race. When, when did you start get to that point physically where you could look ahead like that and not just go day by day? Well, I had already signed up for the um, the Wine and Dine Half Marathon, which was in November. Uh, I, like I said, I got sick in June and had a flare-up in September. Um, and I, I just tried to do what I could. Uh, a lot of my workouts did not go well, but I, I kept trying, and I really wanted to break my PR and hopefully do somewhere around a 130 in that half marathon. Um, it was another humid day. It just didn't work out. I also just looking back at it, my fitness wasn't there for, for running a one thirty half marathon. I tried as much as I could, but you know, with all of the sickness I was dealing with, it just wasn't there. I just wasn't fit enough. So I tried for a one thirty. I ended up running a one thirty three, which is still great. You know, it was only like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Still only like 30 seconds off my PR. So, you know, still a good day. Um, but then from there I decided, you know, I want to do another marathon and try to update my PR because I was starting to feel better and better. So that's when I decided on doing the celebration marathon rather than doing the goofy challenge, um, which I had signed up for, but um, thought that that would give me a better opportunity to do a standalone marathon than to do, you know, once again, the half and the full marathon the following day. It's just, it's not a smart thing to do if you're trying to PR or go for a big PR. I don't know. Hey, you PR the first time you did it, Mel. did, and that was where I kind of was like, I'll just do it. Like, it's fine. I've done it before. I can do it again. But like, Who needs to taper? Not yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Gosh, it's just, it's so easy to run 39 miles in two days. It's fine. Obviously, obviously. Lyme, Lyme disease be damned. <laughs> yeah, so I, I decided. I was like, no, I'll just do the celebration marathon. So I just took uh, the Disney runs for, for fun, and I really enjoyed that weekend. Um, but then, you know, my, my other stuff came up right after that, um, my other health stuff, um, which I we talked about this. But my I found a lump in my breast uh, that same weekend of the Disney half marathon and full marathon, um, which then led to, you know, having this ultrasound and them telling me that this spot is a area of suspicion and it's, it's some sort of mass. Um, it's not a cyst. It's, it's definitely a, a tumor of some sort. So, um, Hopefully it's benign. We're doing more testing on that right now, but that's what I've been kind of dealing with the last couple of weeks leading into my marathon taper, which is not great, but um, what are you going to do? You just got to keep, keep rolling with the punches. Right. And obviously, you know, you're, you're approaching this topic in this, in this conversation, obviously in a very positive way, but you know, certainly that's not exactly how you probably felt, you know, 
that week or that day or, you know, probably, or even before we got on the, this phone call, um, you know, cause you have some family history with this, right? I do. I do. Um, my mom's mom passed away from breast cancer when she was 48. She was diagnosed when she was 40. So my mom was only five when she passed away from breast cancer. So, you know, it's scary. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I, I touched on this on my own account. Um, back in December, I, I'm going to be very candid here. I, I lost about 10 pounds in, in two weeks, which is very quick for me. I've never lost weight like this in a marathon training cycle. Um, but I, I just kind of assumed, you know, my, my training's a little different this time. I'm working with a coach. Maybe my intensity is higher. I didn't change any of my eating. Like I eat very well. You can't sustain 60 to 70 mile weeks, not eating well. So, you know, the weight loss was kind of weird, but I didn't really think anything of it. Um, but but to be honest, my hair has actually started to fall out recently. Um, and, and that's something that I obviously have brought up to my doctor and it is something of a concern. So with, you know, this lump and, and everything else going on, it it is something that we're taking seriously and it, it is scary. (laughs) There are a couple of, uh, of, posts, you know, that I've put up lately where I'm smiling, but I had spent a majority of my run crying. Um, and that's just the reality of, of it being something scary. You know, you just, you hope for the best. Um, but you also don't want to be naive and don't want to ignore signs that there could be something wrong. So, you know, I've, I've seen a breast specialist who didn't seem crazy concerned. You know, we're, we're starting with some blood work. I'm going to be going to do some more of that tomorrow. Um, and we'll be following up with more scans and, and um, I'll be following up with my Lyme disease doctor and my primary doctor as well. And, and kind of getting some takes from multiple doctors here to make sure that my health is, is okay. Um, but you know, it's obviously been a factor uh, of the last couple of weeks of my training and, and everything else that's been going on. Right. And obviously I, I wish you the best with all of those appointments and, and with Thank your you. health in general. And, and, you know, given what you've gone through with, with Ray and with Lyme disease, um, you know, you're kind of in a position to say, Hey, I've, you know, you've weathered some storms before, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Um, so do you feel like it's, it helps you? I don't know. I don't even know how to phrase it exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like you have to still live your life, right. You have right. this like thing hanging over your head, but you still have to be optimistic because you have the rest of your life to live and you're, you know, your kids, you got, you know, your family, you got all that going on. Um, so do you feel like having that history has allowed you to approach this maybe in a way that would have been harder if you didn't? Yeah, I think so. And I think also, you know, dealing with the things with Raylin, I, I had to learn to be her advocate very quickly, you know, um, there were times where I had to switch doctors when Raylan first wasn't gaining weight. It was like, oh, you know, she's fine. And I was like, no, there, I knew there wasn't something right. And I, so I switched her pediatrician and, and the next pediatrician I saw took it very seriously. And so that kind of told me, okay, my instinct is right. So it, it kind of goes back to how I'm feeling now where, you know, maybe it's, I'm, like I said, I am praying um, that it is not cancer, but I also know that as things have gone on with my health, I'm like, okay hold on, something's not adding up 100% here. So I don't know what it is, but I'm going to keep fighting until I figure out, you know, what's going on and make sure that I'm truly healthy. Um, so of course, like dealing with all the Raylan stuff has set me up to, to kind of know how to be my own advocate here. Um, so I'll be optimistic. I will continue to fight and run and, and deal with all of that stress the way that I always have, um, but also be hopeful that it's all going to turn out okay. It always does. And this might seem trivial, but because you because you go out of your way to share these experiences, do you feel like 
that social media community that you've cultivated over time, do you feel like that, I guess, what kind of impact does that have on your ability to be cathartic in those moments or share or, you know, how does that tie into the rest of your life? Because it seems like it's something that, you know, organically has really sprouted to be something like almost like a phenomenon in a way. And, you know, it feels like there's like, you know, 25,000 people who are like are rooting you on daily through this stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate everything that everyone says to me a day in and day out. I mean, I get so many emails and messages and people just endlessly pouring into me that seem to care so deeply about me, which I, I, I really can't fathom. It, it really, it blows my mind, you know, that people truly seem to care about me and my well-being and, and root me on in my running and my health. And, and like I said, just really seem to really care about me. Um, and I appreciate it so, so much. And it really makes me feel like, okay, this is important to share this part of my journey. You know, I, you can put on a happy face any day and be like, here are my running stats for the day. And, and that be everything that you share. But I think it's important too to remember that there's a person behind there, you know, like it's not, it's not just running stats day in and day out. There is a, a person with a whole life and feelings and, and things going on that are bigger than PRs and, you know, prep workouts and everything else that's going on. So I think it's important to, to not only share the highs, but the lows. And, and maybe that's not just running lows, but that's life lows. You know, that's, that's health issues and, and other things that are bigger than running. Um, and I think that's important to continue to, to share and, and make sure that people realize that it's not, it, it's not just running, you know, behind that account. Right. And when you started chronicling your running and your life on, on social media, did you feel like this is something that would result from that? Like, did you have any idea that you'd gain this kind of following? No, no. Um, in fact, I had, when I was at uh, the Celebration Marathon yesterday, I had a couple people come up to me and I, I love that so much. If you ever see me out, please come say hi. I love it so, so much. But um, there's this guy sitting next to me and he goes, I have to ask, who are you? And I was like, I don't even know. Like, I, it blows my mind. I was like, I just have social media. I like to share my runs and my life. And he's like, well, that's just so cool. I was like, yeah, it is really cool, right? Like, it's just very cool. It blows my mind um, that so many people, you know, are, are seem to be inspired by my story. And that just makes me feel really good that, you know, I can put myself out there. I know a lot of people have said my body positivity and running in a sports bra, you know, makes them feel good. Like they can do that too, which is so true. So, so true. So that makes me feel really good too. Well, it's interesting that you brought that up because I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about it just because, you know, in light of what you just, in light of what we were just talking about. Um, But that is something that seems to be a point that, not just with you, but with other people as well. People who feel like, hey, like you don't have to have like the perfect body in order to kind of showcase what you have. I mean, showcase is not the right word, but basically just be like, hey, this is who I am. And I'm not going to like hide it. Be, yeah, not, not hide, yeah. I'm not going to hide it, but I'm also like, I'm proud of who I am. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, super anxious about it. Yeah. So for you, what, when did that become, hey, this is just what I feel comfortable doing? And then turn to be like, hey, wow, this is actually helping other people yeah. or empowering other people in a way. Uh, and for people who might not know who you are, like what exactly do people find empowering about that for you? Sure. Or so from you? I, I never ran in a sports bra until I moved to Florida. I was so self-conscious about my stretch marks. And I, you know, like I said, I was 
over 80, 85 plus pounds heavier than I am now. So my stomach is very stretched out. I got loose skin. I, like I said, I have no shame about that. I don't really care. But it took me a while to get to this point where I, I'm okay with it. Um, but when I moved to Florida, it's just so hot down here. Like I couldn't stand, you know, being like having a shirt on. Like I was just so hot that one day I just was like, whatever, I'm just running a sports bra. And I remember the first day I posted on social media, um, and, uh, and I posted, you know, like I've got stretch marks, whatever. And I was like, I'm trying to be brave about it. And so many people were like, that's so awesome. That's great. You know, like I do too. And, and eventually it was just kind of like, okay, this is how I feel most comfortable at this point. You know, running here in Florida, it's just hot. I just want to be comfortable. Um, and, and running a sports bra is what's most comfortable for me down here. Of course, um, as it gets more humid, it's, it's just not comfortable to wear a bunch of extra clothes that get, end up getting all sweaty and stuff. So you know, I've just continued to put myself out there and I've, I've had lots of people be like, I just love that you've put it out there um, and, and aren't afraid to show that you've got stretch marks and whatever. I'm like, yeah, why, why should you care? You know, I run what I run. I am confident in my fitness and, you know, I, I, not to be like braggy, but I'm like, I run pretty well, you know, like your body could be strong um, and have extra skin and stretch marks and look like a mom bod and you can still run you know, really well and be proud of what your body is able to accomplish and not what it looks like. I think that's the biggest part of it is that like, it doesn't have anything to do with what your body looks like. Um, you know, whether you're running at one thirty half or whether you're running a two, two and a half hour, three hour half marathon, that's amazing. And I think that we should all be kind of more proud of that and, and be, um, celebrating what our bodies are able to accomplish and not be so caught up in like, Oh, I don't have the perfect like abs and like my stomach doesn't look great. I just think as moms, we need to just embrace, you know, what our bodies are doing day in and day out and how hard we work. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the message you put out there, not only today, but in the past, it's, it's obvious that a lot of people that, that it resonates with a lot of people. You know, I mean, forget about just moms. I mean, I'm, I'm never going to run with my shirt off. <laughs> it is not going to happen. You know, the people of Coventry, Rhode Island are happy about that. Um, they, they don't want to see me uh, with that shirt off. But um, and at the same time, like, it's one thing to do that around your neighborhood, right? Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going to go for a run, whatever. I'm going to dress for the weather, whatever the yes. weather happens to be, right? And it's another thing to just, you know, to put that out on social media and be like, hey, like, not only did I do it on my run, like I'm fine with it being a public thing. Sure. Right. And I think that's where it could be uncomfortable for some people. And it's also something that I think, you know, I don't want to belabor the point here, but it's something where other people can learn from and say like, Hey man, if she can do it, then like, Hey, what the hell? Right. Yeah. And I think like did, when you started, when you did that, when you had that initial post, and I still remember that post reading it for the first time, did you have, a thought that, Hey, this was possible that other people would resonate with it. Or was it more just like, Hey, I'm going to say, I'm going to kind of do this preamble and say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this for this reason as a way of just saying like, this is why I'm actually posting it like this. Yeah, no, it was just all about like, just trying to be like, this is why I'm doing this. Like I'm trying to have better, better, you know, self-confidence. And, and, and I thought the best way to do that is just put it out there. You know, what are they going to like, what's the worst that can happen if you put yourself out there? But I'll say it took a long time. Like I remember there was one time I ran with one of my girlfriends and I ran in just a sports bra the whole time. And I got back and we were taking a picture afterwards and I was like, hold on, let me put on my shirt. And then why did I do that? Like, that's so, that's so silly. Like it doesn't matter. You know, I had just 
completely rocked a tempo run. It was, you know, 99% humidity in Florida and I had, I had totally nailed my run, but for some reason, you know, I, I just been like, Oh, I have to put a shirt on. Like nobody can see my stomach like this. And, and as soon as I got home, I was like, Nope, screw that. And I took a selfie <laughs> um, and just my sports friend was like, I'm putting it out there. And that was one of the first times I ever did that. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. You know what? It's, if more people saw that like, this is normal, like stretch marks after you have kids, like loose skin, all that, like love handles, you know, if more people saw that, maybe it wouldn't be such a big deal, but I felt like nobody else did that. Um, and maybe they did, maybe I wasn't paying attention. I obviously am not a pioneer wearing a sports bra, um, but like, I felt like most of the people who I saw just had, you know, the perfect body had like gone right back. Um, after having the baby and I'm like, I, I don't look like that. <laughs> That's not what happened for me. <laughs> right. And then like the, 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 the Wazelle company had a big ad campaign mm-hmm. this past year where they, they, they really were hot on this exact same topic, yeah. and, you know, put out a lot of, lot of uh, media around it. And it reminds me of a quote that you had um, earlier. You said you, you were happy before running, yeah. but running led to, you know, a sense of joyfulness, a sense of pride and self-confidence that you did not have before running. And do you feel like, I feel like this is like manifested in this whole story. Yes, absolutely. So I think a lot, this is my one problem I have with like before and after. So many people will be like, oh, I weighed this amount and I was so unhappy and everything was terrible. And then I lost weight and now everything's perfect. And it's like, no, you weren't, not everything was terrible before you lost weight and before you found running and whatever. You had so much going for you and your your stock and your worth is not built in losing weight or running X time or, or you know, becoming a runner. I think that that is so, such a dangerous game to play when you think that's where my, my is. Um, and so I'm constantly being like, you know, I was happy before I found running and, and I still, if I if I got injured or I couldn't run anymore, would I be sad? Absolutely. But that's not, this is not my everything. My world would not come crumbling down if I didn't have running, but it does make me so much more self-confident and I feel really good about myself. And I'm, I'm able to find a lot of joy in my life when I am able to run and be successful in my runs and, and be able to push myself and, and constantly improve my running, I feel great doing that. But I think it's important to remember that that's not everything. Um, we are, we're not just, we're not just runners, you know, we're parents and we are spouses and we have just so many other things going for us that isn't just about our weight and losing weight and running X time and PRs and all of that. I think that is so important to remember. I love that. And I hope the people who are listening to this can just rewind the last three minutes because that was huge. I really appreciate you saying that um, because it couldn't have been more right, frankly, um, which makes the next question all the more awkward. Sorry, <laughs> what are your goals for Boston? What are my goals for Boston? <laughs> I would love to have my race reflect my fitness for once. Um, that would be fantastic. Um, I put in a lot of really, really good and hard work in these past couple of months. So, you know, of course, yesterday was a little, a little frustrating to get a one minute PR when I, I feel like I was in 315 fitness. You know, I, I, I don't feel like it. I know I was like all of my training was spot on. I ran my long runs, no stopping, like all out, not, well, not all out, but I ran them like smart. I fueled well. I felt fantastic. I did all my speed work. I show up 
I, I told you this, like I show up, you don't have to tell me to do the work. I will do the work. Um, so I did everything I needed to do. And then yesterday just, it didn't go well. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if it was the weather. I don't know if it was getting into my own head. Maybe it's an outside health factor that I don't know yet. I don't, I don't know. Um, but so I'm hopeful that Boston will be a good day for me. I hope that it's not as hot and humid as it was yesterday in Florida. Um, so I'd like to hit, you know, maybe 315. If not, I'd really like to just get a, a, a sub 320. I think, um, I think my fitness is there. I feel like I've worked enough to be able to achieve that. I've just got to have good execution. Um, I, I mentioned this on Instagram this morning, but I tend to choke on race day. Um, I read that. And I got to be honest with you. I disagree. If I, if I could be so bold, because any, anyone who listens to this podcast heard you say a half an hour ago that you went through a string of, I think it was 419 to 355 to 335 in a six month span. I mean, PR, 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 right? Yeah. And then the next year you run 324 and you run a 133 half. So I think there have been plenty of races, again, who am I to say? But it seems I... as if there's been plenty of races where your race times at least were closely, maybe not perfectly, but somewhat closely aligned to your fitness. Yeah, I think, I think so. I just, I feel like the marathon like hasn't really lined up. You know, I've run a 132 and a 133 half multiple times. And so, you know, a, a lot of my heartbreak yesterday was, man, that 132 and 133 half lines up with like running a closer to like a three, three twelve, three fifteen marathon. I just haven't been able to execute that. And that's, that's frustrating. You know, it's, yeah. and everyone's like, Oh, it's still a PR. Of course. I am not mad that I got a PR, but it, it is frustrating when you feel like, man, I feel like I know I can do better and it's just not happening. So part of me is like, okay, I don't know what's going on. I, I, a lot of people were like, read how bad you want it. I'm like, trust me, I have read that book 10 times. Um, I just, I, I don't know what happened. I, I think that it was just a combination of things yesterday. And so hopefully I can pull it all together and get the time that I have worked so hard for. Um, and hopefully that day is in Boston. Yeah, obviously yesterday was not, or I should say Sunday, was not ideal conditions in, uh, not only from weather perspective, but obviously with you as well. So uh, it still was a great race. And let me just say, before we get into like the final string of questions here, the kind of the quick questions I'd like to do at the end, thank you so much for your time. I, you know, you were, we're, we've gone an hour plus here. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. You're someone that I personally love following, um, not only because, you know, you're just how you, how you phrase how you're running and life is going, I find to be very interesting. I think you're a good writer in that space, but it, it really is inspirational and motivational for me. So thank you for doing okay. that. I really appreciate it. Um, of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So let's get into the last string of questions. When you're running, okay. are you going headphones or no headphones? Uh, it depends. Um, for long runs, usually I got headphones just because it can get boring. So I listen to podcasts and a lot of music. Um, but anything else, I'm usually no headphones. All right. So what kind of music are you listening to? <laughs> Musicals. <laughs> a lot of music. No way. Yes, I know. It's so cheesy, but I love musicals, Broadway musicals, and a lot of top 100, you know, radio stuff. So if you do a musical, do you do the full score or is it just songs that you've selected from, from various, various um, musicals? Usually full score, like all of it. Yeah. All right. So what's the top two? Uh, Hamilton, of course. Uh, and I love Dear Evan Hansen. 
Wow, that's this is a this is a rambling runner podcast first. No one has ever gone the musical route before. Of, of course, I, of course. I'm sorry. You're welcome. I love it. All right. So, best advice that you give other runners, but you have trouble following yourself. Oh, that's mm, that's a good one. I don't know. Because I feel like I do pretty good running slow. And that's usually the most advice that I give out is run slower, you know, take some easy runs. And I feel like I'm pretty good about that. Um, I don't know. That's a hard question. Can I pass? <laughs> right, no, no problem. If you think of something, just shout it out. We'll move on. Though. Will do. All right. So I mentioned that you motivate me. You're one of the people that I like to follow. You, you do, you're like me. You do the early morning posts. So I'm yeah. like, you know, I'll read that and I'm, I'm, you know, I get it going. So with that being said, who motivates you as a runner? Um, I love, I'm so inspired by my dad. Um, my dad is 65 and he runs, he's still running. Um, he just ran a half marathon in two hours and five minutes Ooh. a couple weeks ago. And I was so proud of him. I wish I had been able to run with him, but I couldn't find him at the start. So I, he inspires me all the time. Um, yeah. Oh, that's great. Good for him. Mm-hmm. All right. If you could have, if you could only run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what would it be? Disney marathon, hands down. Why is that? It's so fun. It's such, there's so many distractions during that race, which of course could be a bad thing or a good thing. But to me, I take it as a good thing. I, I smile throughout that whole weekend. Like I, I just, I love it. I'm a big Disney nerd. So, you know, seeing all the characters and everyone's just so happy. It's just such a great atmosphere. It's a great race. Okay. Uh, all right. So what's a, what's a bucket list race for you? Um, Boston. Of course. All right. That was the easiest question I, I posed all, the whole time. All right. Yeah. All right. Last one. Who is your dream running partner? You okay, can't, and you can't pick your dad. We've already gone. You've already, you've already done the dad, the dad answer. You got to pick someone new. I will not pick my dad, um, but it's going to be another cheesy answer. It would be my best friend, Kathleen. I wish she would move to Florida and run with me again. Um, we were the best training partners when I lived in Virginia. And uh, she's just someone who really inspires me and motivates me and, and fiercely believes in me, like is just another one of my like number one supporters and is very level-headed with me. Um, listened to me for like an hour as I recapped celebration yesterday and you know, just one of those people who I'd be like, man, if I could just run with you every day, man, it would just be perfect. <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. So if someone wants to follow you on social, you're at mother runner Mel on Instagram. Anything else you want to, anything else you want to say before we get going? Uh, no, just thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Melissa. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a great day. Hey, right, bye.